Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Welcome to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. Well, we're coming at you once more with the Lord's Supper, the endless topic to go with the endless thread <laughs> on the Wittenberg Trail. Part 5. By the way, speaking of the Wittenberg Trail and the endless thread, mm-hmm. we changed the name. To? The Endless Thread. That was well done. God Whispers, Endless Endless Thread. Formerly known as... Formerly known as the God Whispers are offensive. Beautiful. Only you can do that. You are are the the meister of the the original post. I didn't realize that I could Mm -hmm. change the name of the post. You can even change the post if you want. Well, I know that. Yeah. So you could kind of mess with the post (laughs) after, what, about a year? When, When did you put that up? That's something that Paul McCain would do. He'd just like put yeah. up new products all the time. No, that's been there the whole time. That, that's 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 right. <laughs> the endlessly morphing post. It's like trying to hit a moving target. You know, you, you're trying to respond to it, and it's changing as you're responding. I think this thread goes back to June or July of 2008. I can look it up, and we're we're pushing. Uh, we're we're pushing for six thousand posts. <laughs> we're almost there. <laughs> yeah, we're. By the way, there's a great video of a police chase in in Spain. <laughs> the Spanish, the Spanish Inquisition. Truly spectacular. Yeah, uh, in fact, it's gotten them talking about Spanish food now. I'm I'm just kind of oh, no. I'm, I'm looking on the RSS feed just to see what people are talking about. But, I think uh, I propose that we actually move to Spain. We the, we I believe we are the we are the only the only podcast with a coffee clutch <laughs> it could be and it's it's the same six people on this there's a, this with you know occasionally somebody else chimes in and and sometimes you'll hear from somebody you haven't heard from in months le- leading you to believe that they're hanging around reading this but not saying anything <laughs> well i myself check out for weeks at a time i see where I Re- reverend lovejoy has oh, that reappeared guy. that guy's wild <laughs> i like him <laughs> <laughs> That's, let, let's let's see what the count is, or and, and let's get some of the. De- uh, this was started. You posted this on August twenty second, oh, two thousand eight. So it's less than a year. Yeah, that's impressive work for less than a year. And uh, let's this see. is just one thread. It's not the entire group. It's how, just one... how do I get how do I get the the count? I forgot I forgot how to. Get... Uh, I think if you oh, go there to the God five thousand three hundred and seventy six as of twenty one minutes ago. But you're pushing for six thousand by when? Um, Easter would be nice. Easter. You know. Wow. So that, that doesn't give us much time. So go to the wittenbergtrail.ning.com <laughs> and uh, look for the God Whispers endless thread and post. You know. Just, doesn't matter. You know, put pictures of your children, your cat, whatever. When, That's okay. When you think, well, I was putting up pictures when I was a kid up there. So you, Yeah, that was pretty disturbing. Well, then not the kid picture or my sophomore year college picture. It was the picture. college picture. Yeah, the Charles Manson look. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very disco looking <laughs> no that was beyond kind of there was hickey, there hickey. was no disco there yeah. I, I, I there was no i didn't do disco you know there was a day when we could have we could have had 700 comments probably in a couple of days oh yeah but we've kind of settled into a slow but steady <laughs> pace <laughs> because there's really it's so random i i liked my name the pit of pointlessness <laughs> it's like for the Prince's Bride, the Pit of Despair. Maybe I'll just keep changing the title on a regular basis. That'll irritate people <laughs> almost as much as our ending song does. So, well, listen. Uh, why don't before we get started? Why don't you uh, why don't you uh, put out the 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 
the famous phone number. The God Whispers hotline, area code 626-593-7713 or Manly Doctors 13. (laughs) Just cannot resist that. (laughs) On the web, www.godwhispers.com. And our email address, if you want to write us, is godwhispers at gmail.com. Now, don't forget, when you go to the God Whispers website, be sure and visit the Schwag store. Oh. <laughs> we haven't talked about the Schwag store in a while, and, and we're making billions of dollars. Yeah. AIG is going to start buying oh, yes. money from us. That's <laughs> I, have yet, I have yet to see a, a check from, from I, I Cafe Press. We've sold, aside from stuff to ourselves, I think we've sold a, couple, a Christmas ornament. Couple, a couple of things. I, and, I, haven't it, looked in, I haven't looked in ages. Yeah, we may have like thirty, forty dollars in yeah. there now. It is, it is a true satire. And twenty of that is mine. It's a satire on on Christian <laughs> marketing. Speaking of Christian marketing, uh, non satirical. Our friends at New Reformation oh, yeah. Press. Yes. What, what, what's their What's their their New Reform New Reformation Press dot com all just run together? Yes, I believe works. Yes, New Reformation Press dot com. Uh, be sure and check out. They've got Singing for the Faith, or is that right? What is it called Singing for the Faith? So what? That DVD you're looking at, Canter Resh? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I forgot the name. I forgot. Anyway. From the Good Shepherd sing, Institute, singing, Fort Wayne. It's, it's a DVD series on hymnody. It's actually supposed to be excellent, and I can't wait to get mine. Uh, you can get uh, the uh, uh, Book of Concord Pocket Edition, what you don't want to leave home without. This Book of Concord Pocket Edition is only about six inches thick. Fit in most any. It is. It is large cool. pocket. It's it's so small. <laughs> I lost mine, but I know it'll. Wow. Sh- I know it'll show up somewhere. But but it is really cool. It, you, it's, you really need some new glasses if you it, lost that thing. It's the, <laughs> it you know it's the equivalent of wearing wearing the calculator on the belt, and of course the treasury of daily prayers, which is fantastic. It is a marvelous fantastic. thing. You know, speaking of uh, New Reformation Press, and it is new www New Reformation Press all just packed together dot com. Um, they have a really good selection of books, and I've had uh, uh, we've had a, a couple of emails from people who are exploring the Lutheran faith or considering considering it or who are new to it, and uh, wanted wanted book recommendations. Mm-hmm. And I and I think New Reformation Press just go to their two pages of books. That's a really good place to start. The, you know, there are other titles one could recommend, but they have some really really fine. Uh, titles for just general reading and theology uh, on topics of baptism and uh, um, you know Lutheran theology in general, uh, things on the creed. So, uh, but th- this is a, this is a great um, great collection of of uh, it's a small collection of really useful books from a variety of sources. You know, the other thing that uh, is there is Dr. Rosenblatt's flashcards. It's actually pretty cool because on one side you get the doctrine, and then on the other side it gives you some proof texts. So you can be an eisegete just like everyone else. And <laughs> you can proof text your friends. <laughs> no, but it is, it is important that you know the Word of God and you know how to apply it. And, you know, if you have someone asking you about infant baptism or something like that, uh, you can have a few verses at the ready with these flashcards you can you know, memorize the word of God, which is always a valuable thing to do. All right, enough of this free advertising. Yeah. Let's let's get on to uh let's let's get down to business here, shall I'm, we? I'm I'm looking at the website now trying to figure out what I want to order. 
Well, no. Yes. What the swag store? Yeah, go ahead and talk. I'm gonna just. Uh, well, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna, a new Reformation. Well, we need to we need to tie things up because I, I don't want to do a sixth episode on the Lord's Supper. Although that you know that's not to be despised, but we have to move on here. <laughs> but um, just a couple of things in review. Are, are you listening? Or are I you am. just you no, just playing? I'm, this is you're multitasking. I'm closing this. Guys I'm, can't multitask. We can only do one thing at a I'm time. I'm in touch with my feminine side. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm getting some distance here. <laughs> we're gonna, we're going to start recording these things. Like, uh, what, who's that guy? Table talk radio, where, where they they do it. Uh, they they do it cross country. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you keep uh, you keep up this thing, and we're we're going to start Mueller skyping. We're going to start skyping this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but but just a, just just by way of summary, you know, the Lord's Supper. What are we talking about? We're talking about the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, given to us under the bread and wine, uh, instituted by Christ Himself for us Christians, that is us baptized believers, to eat and to drink. I mean, that's that's the basic framework we've been operating for the last what four episodes now, going on five. Is that all? That's it. Oh, I thought there were more than that. You know what makes it so uh, plain and simple? The Word of Christ. Uh, been exchanging some emails with somebody I know who, uh, you know, it gets back to this question, well, what if you're an unbeliever? What do you receive? You know, and that's kind of a, a, a great diagnostic question. What does an unbeliever receive with his or her mouth? And the Lutheran answer is the body and blood of Christ under bread and wine. Yeah. For no other reason than the word reveals it to be so. Well, either to your salvation or your judgment. Right. I mean, but but the, what it is remains what right. it that's, is that's what constant. it is. The results may be different, but... That's true. Is what theology is, is right what it there. Is. It is what it is, and it is so by the word, not by our believing or not believing. It's like if you had a million bucks in the bank and you didn't believe it, you still have a million bucks in the bank. Right. You're just an idiot not to believe it. Um. And then uh, how the, the other question is how you know how are the blessings and benefits uh, received? The blessings and benefits being uh, forgiveness, life, salvation, everything that Christ won on the cross by His death. Um, you know how is that received? And, and the answer is through faith in the words of Christ. You know, which is that's that's a uniform answer across the board. How is how are the blessings and benefits of baptism received through faith in the promise of, of salvation? Uh, how, how are the blessings of the gospel received through faith? And so uh, this is this is the faith component that was uh, it really ignored in certain aspects at the time of the Reformation. So that you know they held it didn't matter what you believed or if you believed at all if you were just in the general vicinity of the Lord's Supper, uh, it it had positive effects. You know the, the Latin being ex opera operato out of the work being worked. The mere doing of the thing. The doing, the, yes, that's right, the, the, the mere doing of the thing. So faith is not left out, but faith does not make the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper. Faith receives the blessings and the benefits. Just like, I think the analogy that I use is that you, if you don't have an operating digestive tract, you may be able to uh, eat food with your mouth, but you can't extract any of the nutrients. So, you know, it's the same meal that goes in, but uh, you don't get the blessings and benefits apart from faith. And then finally, and I, and I think this is going to be the lead-in for today, is uh, the question of who receives this sacrament worthily, which I think was a bigger question at the time of Luther than it is today. Most, most people seem to uh, want to assert their right to the Lord's Supper, whereas in Luther's day, people weren't sure they were worthy even to crawl up to the altar. The difference between uh, coming with a fear of the Lord and uh, not, I guess. Just making, just making general demands on the past. Coming out of your American citizenship. 
Right. Uh, that's right. You know, I've got I've I've got my It's a free country. I've got this my American open doors and I'm coming. I've got my American flag lapel pin on one side and and my you know, whatever kind of cross pin on the other side and therefore, you know, I'm entitled. I have I have dining room privileges. It's kind of like the Masonic Lodge or the Elks Club, you know. If you if you know the secret handshake, uh, you know you have dining room privileges. <laughs> you know that's kind of interesting because those clubs seem to be more exclusive than the church, and this is a sacred thing. And, and people think it's a big thing. Yeah, it's an important thing. Yeah. So anyway, Swirl is drinking his Jerry Dog's. Uh, what did, what did you get there? It's it? watered down lemonade. Ah, uh, lemonade. Yeah, watered down. I did the Arnold Palmer myself. I saw that. Yeah, I'm trying to decaffeinate because my heart is skipping every That's third right. beat. He may so. keel over halfway through yeah. this. Then I got to carry the rest of the program while the paramedics are <laughs> yeah. fixing you up. If you hear, if you hear the sound of an ambulance and a lot of guys working, it's it's me. I've keeled over. <laughs> But uh, we're we're carrying on here, you know, just ignoring the chest pains and moving on. That that's dedication that, right there, or stupidity. I don't know which, but there's a fine line between dedication and stupidity. You you want to you want to read the uh, uh, Luther's take on who receives the sacrament worthily? Oh, we're skipping way forward to that. Okay, fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training, but I don't like them. <laughs> That's probably but, <laughs> because they're fine outward training. <laughs> but that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them and is unworthy and unprepared. For the words for you require all, heart, all hearts to believe. There you go. So, you know, the traditional piety is that one approaches the Lord's Supper, A, while fasting— and B, having gone to confession. What's the history behind that? Do you know? I have no clue. But it's old. Does it go back to uh, perhaps the Jewish days where you would be prepared to go to temple? You would. Uh, no, it wouldn't. That wouldn't factor in, in because l- l- look at the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath celebration began on Friday evening with a meal, mm, mm-hmm. and then it continued on Saturday morning with going to synagogue and and study of the Torah. So, so it wouldn't. It really wouldn't factor there. Um, it probably has more to do with the early morning gatherings of Christians in the the early centuries, where they would gather before sunrise. The Didache bears witness to that, and I'm not sure. I don't recall now if the Didache says that that they they partook while fasting, but they did gather early in the morning before sunrise because Sunday was not a day off in the Roman Empire, so they mm. had to worship before they went to work. And and so it, it kind of makes sense that if they're getting together in the early hours of the morning, say four in the morning or something like that, they wouldn't have had anything to eat. And it probably just evolved, you know, around that. The traditional fast days for Christians were Wednesday and Friday. Hmm. Oddly, but Didache says that Tuesday and Thursday were the Jewish fast days, so the Christians notched it over one Wednesday and Friday. I don't think they had any symbolism in mind with that. Interesting. But I, the, I wouldn't have been good at, at uh, being a Christian back then because <laughs> I like the nightlife. Yeah, I, li- yeah. I like to boogie. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, there's less to energize the nightlife, though. That's you, true. If you don't have electricity, you know, the nightlife really, that puts a crimp in yeah, the whole Yeah, my DVR nightlife. doesn't work too well no, with No, without, it, it, yeah. it at all. The, as I understand it, the Orthodox still practice, Eastern Orthodox still practice that today, that, that uh, they receive the Lord's Supper while fasting. Uh, small children are excluded from that. But, Do the Roman Catholics not uh, stress that? In, you know, maybe pre-Vatican II Roman Catholics? I, I really, I don't know. Um, I don't, I, you know, you'd have to ask a, you know, a, the, do the Catholic on the street interview and see. I, about, I suspect that some do and some don't. What about the pre-Vatican II Lutherans? <laughs> <laughs> they definitely do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, in, in some circles, that's making a resurgence. And, and you know, it's it, we shouldn't despise it, whether you like it or I like it or not. Uh, Luther says it is fine outward training, and it is a discipline of the appetites and and heaven knows why our our appetites could use a little bit of discipline <laughs> so not mine i am not lean, mean and very trim for you know, a, for it, an obese male it it also um i think it makes for a nice rhythm for a sunday because uh you know you would emerge from the divine service and and instead of just having you know some stale sweet rolls or donuts and coffee there would actually be a decent meal uh, for a fellowship meal, and 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 I, I think I think that actually structures a, a rather nice Sunday. But good luck trying to change the habits. You know, you know, traditions <laughs> are the way they are. Try, try instituting that in in your basic Lutheran congregation. See how far. See how long you have. You know? I, I got to tell you this story at my church. There there was a big hubbub about uh, people signing up for coffee and donuts and not showing up or not bringing their stuff. And I I said, well, wait, wait, wait. So. They signed up on the ubiquitous sign-up sheet, yeah, and yeah, then they and didn't then, deliver. They didn't even show. Oh they, yeah, well they, that could result in uh, church bent. discipline, right? <laughs> so I, I said, you know, well, what would happen if we didn't even have coffee and donuts some Sunday? And one of the old ladies, God bless her heart, she said, "Well, that's my favorite part." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ah, I almost, I almost fell over. I. I Jesus is here, but I'm holding out for the coffee and donuts. <laughs> well, inter- you know, did you read Internet Monk? Uh, yeah, about once every other month. Yeah, he uh, he he posed. Uh, I think it's got really heavy. Uh, a couple of times ago with the liturgical gangsters of of whom I'm one yeah. and uh, things got a little 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 tense around uh, mandated fasting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it got kind of yeah. ugly, and yeah, and I so he that. he he saw a need to just kind of lighten up. So he wanted everybody to describe their traditions potluck, <laughs> and and you know you laugh because you know with Lutherans <laughs> you know there's Garrison Keeler has made a career out of describing a Lutheran. We, we are potluck. defined by our potlucks. Uh, yeah, well, in, I, have, I have a coaster in the kitchen over there that says the potluck stops here, and it's, <laughs> and it's got a little Luther rose on. I, it. I gave them a generic recipe for a hot dish. You know, so it's basically a cup of any meat, you know, your choice, elbow macaroni, Velveeta or cheese whiz, chopped celery, chopped onions, throw it in a casserole. Uh, You know, if you're in Wisconsin, cover it with more cheese, bake at 350, serve lukewarm, baby. You know, you're home. You can get like six or seven different varieties. Delicious. Oh, and don't forget the, the can of cream of blank soup it could be cream of celery cream of mushroom cream of chicken chicken yeah, yeah but it's got to be i didn't realize that chickens had cream yeah well <laughs> yeah, but this undiluted you Nor know celery for that cream matter. cream of uh whatever soup but you know I, I did point out that coffee was the fourth sacrament in the lutheran church and it had to be perked in these huge percolators 
<laughs> you know, no drip. Ones that are and cleaned not, every three months. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that's that's right. With a little battery acid, and and uh, <laughs> it, and not only that, but don't use good coffee by any means. You know, Folgers. You, yeah, absolutely. That that's right. Yeah, old Folgers. That it's 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 <laughs> the only. Do you know that 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 in our coffee? I, I actually have the pastor's private reserve coffee. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, some somebody makes a pot of real coffee. Now we have we have a good we have good Brun uh, drip makers, but they still run this Folgers stuff through it. <laughs> it's 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 marginal. But but somebody somebody God bless her. She 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 knows that uh, that that I like good coffee. So she she put I have this this uh, pot waiting on the on the coffee maker after church, and it's 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 the good stuff. I don't know. It's it's something like Starbucks or Pete's or something. This is when I'm glad that I don't even drink coffee. <laughs> I just go over to the office and get a tall glass of bad cold coffee, water. bad, bad, uh, bad beer, and cheap tequila. These are all things that shorten your life. I, I'm <laughs> so, what are we talking about again? Fasting oh, and bodily and other bodily Lord's preparation. Supper, yeah. So, you know, what Luther's referring to is this Eucharistic piety of of not eating and and uh, you know of of. There are a variety of customs. Uh, the custom in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, in prior generations was confessional services. Saturday night, you came to the Beicht Gottesdienst. Wow. And uh, Auf Deutsch, no less. Yeah. Um, or you, you announced communion. That was another thing. Private confession with right. an announcement for communion and things like that. Well, and then it evolved, as I understand, into simply coming and signing up for communion to calling the pastor and letting him know that yeah, you the, and the kids will the... be there. And now it's... it's <laughs> and Aunt it's... Minnie is in town, by the way, so yeah. include her. Now it's just mayhem. See, in a sense, it, it, it became very much like just calling in a reservation at the Elks Club. But that solves some you know, problems. Table of seven. Yeah, it solved the leftover problems, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. yeah, and it also solves a lot of fellowship problems. Oh gosh, you know I I'd love to give you communion, but you didn't make your reservation. So, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. You'll have to go back to your Eastern Orthodox Church for <laughs> communion. I guess so. that's that's harsh. <laughs> the uh, Luther's focus, though, uh, when it comes to worthiness for communion, uh, focuses on what he dealt with in the third question, that is, faith in the words of Christ given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. You know, the whole idea, I, I diagram this out sometime as concentric circles, if you can visualize this. In the center is, I, I draw a cross and, and write Christ for all, you know, because Christ's death is for all. Um, and then in the second circle, I, 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 I have word and sacrament, that's Christ for you. So the Christ who died for all, it, through the word and through the sacrament, is presented offered, delivered, applied to you, for you. And then the third circle is faith. Faith says, for me. And uh, so so faith hears the words, for you, and appropriates those gifts to itself. It says that this Christ is for me. And then the last circle is, is, is love, uh, which is Christ for the neighbor. Or as Luther puts it, we're as, we're as little Christ for our neighbor, and Christ is hidden in our neighbor to serve. So, but the, the whole idea of those words for you, as Luther says, require every heart to believe. Now, would that last circle also fit under vocation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it kind of flows from Christ for all in the center, uh, Christ delivered in word and sacrament, Christ believed and so received through faith, and then. Uh, Christ lived out in vocation. That's really a good way of saying it, really. Uh, Christ lived out in vocation, service of the neighbor, hmm. um, that kind of thing. 
one of the, we'll, we'll put it up on the uh, the website sometime. Sure. That'd be good. It's um, I, you know, I think it's helpful, but it locates word and sacrament in maybe a little different place than than some people might. They might put it after faith. You know, I go to the sacrament to strengthen my faith. Um, and you know, in a sense, that's true. But baptism and and the word are also the faith creating words, and so clinging to the word, we out, you know we constantly return to uh, the gifts of Christ and and receive them as our own. But but that's why Luther puts such a big emphasis on faith because faith hears the words for you and says you know yippee for me amen right. I, I'm just thinking as as I I drew out your circles as you were talking about them. Uh, we receive the sacraments in faith. How does that play out with this? Well, in faith and for faith. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, faith is, is an, an integral and intimate part of the whole thing. But, uh, you know, we Luther will even say, you know, so you're doubting. Well, you know, come to the sacrament and learn to believe. Well, it seems that you have your ordo salutis out of order here. And uh, How's that? I was just talking like a Calvinist. For oh, a second. oh, <laughs> yeah. See, I knew, I knew there was a category. <laughs> Any time you hear ordo salutis, you got to. Oh, is it, is it Calvinist? <laughs> yeah, does this go along with getting in touch with your feminine side, or is this this is getting in touch with your Calvinist side? We'll we'll discuss that later. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know people want us to rip on Calvinism more, but we don't rip on people around here. We just mock, usually ourselves, and then then collateral damage. We, well, yeah. Ourselves and then anyone near us. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. It's like a Scud missile. It's like, our aim is really bad. You never know who. You never know who's going to get kind of blown up. In the and, and chances are, if we're railing on you, we actually like you more than most other people. That's right. Yeah. That's you have appeared on our radar screen as opposed to just simply being benignly neglected. So, so blessed are you who the God whispers mock. Anyone who does not believe these words, Luther says, or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared for the words, for you require all hearts to believe. You know, I've known people to get messed up on this, though. Okay. And that is especially kind of uh, adolescents transitioning to adults. They're starting to think. And they, they read this and they say, you know, I've got some doubts. You know, I've been thinking, I've been reading the Bible, I've been listening to this, or yeah. or this, I just, you know, I just, I have some doubts, I have some questions. And then they start just not coming to the Lord's Supper, because they have some doubts, because the words here say, uh, whoever doubts these words is unworthy and unprepared. Hmm. And I think that's a misapplication of okay. that. Okay, well, why do you say that? Because, because, you know, what I tell them is, look, this is where you learn how to trust Christ, and take him at his word. So if you absent yourself from that, you're basically caving into your doubts. And so, so you know, I'm not going to go that. Don't focus on your doubts. Focus on Christ. Let him take mm. care of your doubts. Mm-hmm. You know, That kind of goes along with people who say, well, I've been living a pretty sinful life lately, so I better not come to the Lord's Supper. Exactly. That's, that's when you need to go to the Lord's well, Supper. Well, you know, Ambrose, uh, Church Father Ambrose said, I, love him. I, go to the, I go to the Supper because I sin. My patron saint. <laughs> but he's right on target. Yeah. You know, it's, it, is, it is the medicine for sinners. Yeah. You know, this is, this is, this is the life-giving, forgiving medicine of the cross. It would be like saying, I can't go to the doctor because I'm sick. Right. What did Jesus say? Hey, it's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick, you know? And, and so uh, it's precisely sinners. Well, look at, look at who Jesus' favorite table companions were. You know, the outcasts, the sinners, oh, yeah. the rejects, you, the, you, the people. He never hung out with the good people. Well, he did, but he irked the daylights out of them. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, but I mean, he seemed to prefer not to hang out with them as much as the people who were willing to say, 
I need a savior. Yeah, well, he made it a habit to hang out with the disreputable, right. you know, much to the scandal of the religious. But, you know, therein lies the point is this is a supper for sinners. This is a supper for, for the weak. Yes. You know, the people who are in the middle of their wilderness and there's no, no nourishment around, you know, and you just be a fool not to go. And so you have to be careful not to use this as some sort of criterion to exclude yourself. I think that's what I'm saying. Don't make that judgment on yourself because the old Adam and the devil are always going to say, uh, you're not worthy. You don't belong here. People do that on a regular basis with church in general. We got to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. We're still talking about the Lord's Supper. We are. I and think I, 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 this might be it, guys. Are we going to be able to round it out? I, <laughs> I have hopes. I've got high hopes. Until the next email. Just what makes that little old Craig think that he can finish the Lord. No, Sinatra would never sing that. Right. We are talking about worthy communicant. Yes. And uh, which is what the, the, the catechism's burden in that fourth question, who receives the sacrament worthily, uh, is looking at the communicant. And the, the one word answer is faith, the one who has faith. Mm. Um, now, this doesn't answer the question, where, where should I commune or can anybody come up and receive communion here, there, or anywhere? That's not in view. You know, you got to keep things in historic context. In Luther's day, there was only one church in town. It was the church in town. <laughs> and and so you you couldn't say, well, I'm ticked off at the pastor, so I'm going to the other church in town, because there was no other church in town. It's like that, like that joke of the, the uh, Lutheran who was shipwrecked on an island. I was just thinking of that. Yes, you've heard this. I heard it from Garrison it Keillor. Norwegian Lutheran. Is Norwegian Lutheran. Because yeah, Steve and, Flo told, told me that. Yes, and, so. and uh, when they finally found the guy, he had built a whole village for himself. And so there was a grocery store, and uh, there was you know just all kinds of buildings in his house, and and then there was a church, and the, you know people people say, well, you know, what's that? He said, well, that's the church that I go to. And down the street there was another church, and and they said, well, if that's your church, what's that building over there? He said, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> <laughs> it's and you know every Lutheran knows exactly what that means. You know, where there are two or three Lutherans, there will be a split. It, yeah, it's just inevitable. Um, and it's never over doctrinal reasons. That's not true. Uh, but it's almost never about doctrinal. Let reasons. me let me amend that. Uh, it's never purely about doctrinal reasons. There, there's there's probably enough doctrine in there to make it justifiable, but there's always some other stuff that's floating around in there. But I, uh, I remember uh, Rod Rosenblatt. He swears that this is true. That there was some. Norwegian, Scandahuvian synod in the great Midwest somewhere that around 100 years ago, they actually had a big split over what was more sanctified, mustaches or beards? <laughs> 
entirely possible. Doesn't he tell the same story about a drag out voters meeting where they nearly had a split over Hydrox versus Oreos at the uh, <laughs> at, at the coffee hour after the service? I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I could I can see it. I can see it happening. We're taking our Oreos and leaving. But the the question on the, the there are really two questions on the table is is um, am I worthy to go to the Lord's Supper? And the answer really is the one who has faith in the words of Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, is is worthy in the sense that Christ Himself has worthied you. Um, the other question is, may I commune here, wherever here may be? And and the answer varies. Right. You know, especially these days, it varies. In Luther's day, there wasn't much variance because, like I said, it was, it was, um, it, it was, there was only one church in town and you went to it or you didn't. And even after the Thirty Years' War and the Peace of Westphalia, there was only one religion per region. So the rule was the religion of the prince was the religion of the region. So you would have Lutheran regions and Catholic regions, and in the South you'd have Reformed regions too. And so basically they could say, hey, if you don't like what we teach here, you're going to have to physically move mm. because you didn't have you know, the local Reformed church down the street and the Wesleyans over here and, and uh, the Presbyterians on the next block and what just didn't happen. America is kind of a unique experiment. Now, wasn't fellowship pretty much declared from bishop to bishop? As, as far as what bishops would well, you're reaching back to the early early centuries now. yeah right you know re- remember you know, denom- I'm, I'm still stuck on Ambrose uh, yeah know. right yeah, he's your guy uh yeah that's true that that fellowship was established between bishops and right. bishops uh gathered together uh recognized each other's each other and so had fellowship and if uh, your bishop had some kind of a snit with the neighboring bishop then this was just disloyal to go and commune over with the neighboring bishop. Okay, so I, I guess my question they is... They even sent letters back and forth, too. Werner Ehlert's got a whole book on this, but they had these letters, so if you were out of town on business... Oh, you'd, take, you'd take get this, you'd this, this, this letter of fellowship that says, please welcome Craig D'Onofrio or whatever, you know, to your fellowship. He's, a, he's, a, he's one hour, take good care of him kind of thing. And then that bishop would say, no, I don't like your bishop. (laughs) Well, but see if there was something between them, if they had a doctrinal difference, they were arguing about the two natures of Christ or whatever, that would be the end of communion. I'm assuming that a lot of this grew out of that Arian controversy where, Mm -hmm. you know, they're struggling over who Christ is. Well, everything, you know, modalism and Arianism and you name whatever ism cropped up, but but that's how you dealt with those things. And you you kept, uh, you, you basically kept these things from spreading by by cutting off communion when there was a disagreement. Okay. Now, when you translate that into modern practice, we, we we don't we're not looking at it that way anymore. Although I would say Rome probably does because it's being its loyalty to the Pope. If the Holy Father says you don't commune with Protestants, you don't commune with Protestants, even though a lot of Catholics do anyway. So, what if our synodical president says, "Well, we'll commune with Roman Catholics. We don't have a problem." Well, see, there you go, okay, uh, be, because, because um, it's in America, denominations have kind of taken the place of the one church in town. See, now all the towns have gotten together. Everybody's brought their church in town to America and established it on each street corner. 
and, okay. and that complicates things enormously. I think the only other place in the world that ever tried this gemisch of Christian... There's a good Yiddish phrase, Yeah, gemisch. I was about to say, oi. Oi, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we, we didn't even go to Benji's down the street yeah. for, uh, for, uh, for a little nosh. Pastrami there, we yeah. We have our nosh at Benji's. Best pastrami under the sun. Good stuff. But, um, no, it, um, I think the only other place was, was the Netherlands, because because you know for for the Dutch religion took a second seat to business, <laughs> so you didn't want to get you didn't want to get let your religion interfere too much with business. So are you in bank fellowship? Would be the question. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, you wanted to keep things kind of nicely nicely open there, and and so no, the, no, you bank at the wrong bank. The, you can't the, have communion here. But but you know you know your history. Even in a, even <laughs> in a colonial America, whole states were oh, a yeah. certain denomination or certain you know confession. Well, Rhode Island was founded because the, the Baptists were pushed out of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And so, so that was kind of no man's land. They you, got their little marsh there. You left them to Providence. <laughs> yeah, but Newport, Rhode Island, what a place! Yep, gorgeous. But but each state had its own it, it, its own sort of territorial religion almost, and and it's now you know it's really the modern concept of of rallying around a confession, a denomination, a church body, and then the question is: is that a sufficient criterion for communion? Hmm. And uh, there are really kind of four. There are four answers that come that come out here. At least I can identify four different practices. If you're sort of surveying the Christian scene, you know, um, uh, on the one end is closed communion, strictly closed. Now it may be closed congregationally. Hmm. You know, that would be like the ultimate of closed communion. That only congregation members are invited and received you know, at, at the table. Well, and we do have so many flavors within the Missouri Synod that there are some who operate under this. You know, they, they say, I'm in statu confessionis, and well, unless you're confessing just like I am, uh, your people can't commune here. Right, yeah, we, we, we differ on our interpretation of Hezekiah 4.2, and therefore, you know, we're not, we're not in fellowship. So, you know, I the, thought it was 4.8. Whatever. Okay. So even <laughs> even there, I, I, we, we've just broken fellowship. You know, but there is something to be said about congregationally closed communion, positive, and okay. that is it emphasizes that communion is is really about congregation. That is, it's it's not just you don't just stop into a church like you roll up to a gas station to get an anonymous fill up. But, you know, there's a pastoral relationship and there's an accountability to your fellow congregants. A congregation is, is an organic entity. And uh, it, that's the megachurch has lost this. Now you yeah. just kind of assemble like some concert or something. Well, you can't have a responsible pastor in a megachurch because there's no way that the pastor can know who's who. Well, that's part of it. And, well, and once you have a thousand parishioners, you you have your inner circle of maybe a hundred people that you know, and then everyone else is maybe a recognizable face. Yeah, mega best. churches subdivided to con- little congregations. Yeah. Is what they do. Yeah. So you know, the, but there's that uh, the the kind of broader form of closed communion would be sort of uh, closed to the church body, or in our case, like the synod, synodically closed communion. Okay. And that would be. Communion is closed to all but those who are in formal, official, recognized altar. We call it altar and pulpit fellowship. And that means you could judge, but you can judge, and it's kind of a a good way to go uh, in terms of you can judge if you can commune there if your pastors are interchangeable. Oh, you know, I, I tell I tell my people that if if you go to a church and you ask, could Pastor Swirla would would he be welcome to preach and preside here as a guest? 
And if the answer is no, then then <laughs> fellowship is not. We don't have fellowship. Now I know why you're laughing, but because the, <laughs> there are probably some churches inside the Missouri Synod where I may not be welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, given liturgical flavors and everything. In in a sense, I like close. I like close communion because it takes it takes it out of our hands. We just simply say, you know, where where is your membership? Because we assume where your membership is, there your confession is, just like the old days. That we believe we, we believe that you believe what the bishop teaches. And so if if you are a Methodist, we believe you are an honest to God Wesleyan. Okay. Or if you're a Presbyterian, we believe you are a true blue, you know, Synod of Dort five point Calvinist. Now you may not be, but you know, you're freestyling at that point. Okay. You know, the problem is nobody thinks like this except no. a handful of Lutherans. Yeah, not not really. Um, it, it it seems to be that I, I contend that we are in a post-denominational age in a lot of ways, that your affiliation and your denomination, for the most part, doesn't mean a whole lot to most people anymore. It depends who you talk to. I, I think... I think That's the, why I added the, the caveat of most people. The Eastern Orthodox <laughs> still practice a right. very strict form of closed community. Right, and do not mess with their liturgy. Although I'm aware, I'm aware of, of sloppy practice in, in specific instances. No okay, way. So it's not like this is bulletproof, but generally they're consistent. Roman Catholic on paper are that way. You know, the Pope has been right. very clear about, you know, Catholic altars are for Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roman Catholics are not to be communing all over Christianity, you know. And then there are groups within Protestantism, conservative Presbyterians and Lutherans and whatnot, that also practice a, a doctrinally, confessionally closed communion. Now, we do it for confessional reasons. We say you got to be, we have to be in complete agreement in what we teach, and uh, if we become aware of disagreement, then then we've got to rectify the situation, you know, one way or another. Right, right. Now, how deep does this need to go as far as our doctrines? That's a tough question. Yeah, that's a you know there. Some of the dogmaticians have made distinctions between what are called primary doctrines or doctrines that are directly. Co- connected to the gospel, mm-hmm. and secondary doctrines, that is, doctrines that, though important in terms of interpreting the Bible, are not... Primary. The, well, they're, <laughs> they're not that one step to the gospel kind of right. thing. You know, the right. gospel is not explicitly at stake. And, um, you know, we probably do well to make some of those distinctions. And what about those that we recognize with felicitous inconsistencies? Well, that was Peeper's big thing, you know, yeah. is that that's why, that's why we can still call most denominations Christian, because they get the central message right, even though they're missing a—it's like a wheel that's missing a half dozen spokes. It still turns. It may be a little wobbly, but it's still turning. So um, the question there is, though, whether, whether we should really be in communion with one another, given all those differences. Okay. You know, this brings up, and you're more up on this than I am, more recent Lutheran history, American Lutheran history in particular, uh, a lot of our pastors will invoke the Galesburg rule. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a, a Lutheran. It's not an LCMS rule, though I hear it in the LCMS a lot. It comes from, I think, the General Synod. I have no idea of its origins. 
Uh, it's American Lutheran. Right. It's confessional. It's conservative side of American Lutheran. But the the rule, you Is remember the rule? Leah Grabau? No, no, not Leah. Not Grab. No, not Grabau either. No, I think maybe Muhlenberg in that crowd. Oh, before them. Yeah, but it's Lutheran altars for, for Lutherans. Right. Well, Lutheran pulpits for Lutheran preachers. Lutheran altars for Lutheran communicants. Right. And and so it 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 um, basically um, condemned. Uh, pulpit exchanges that weren't Lutheran, okay. you know, having the local Presbyterian fill in for you on a Sunday, that was a no-no. And also cross-communion, too, that they that was considered inappropriate because we have disagreements, even if it's beyond the Lord's Supper, whatever disagreements. Right, but this is uh, something that that uh, popped up at, at a point in Christian history. There goes Rufus. Rufus. Shush. <laughs> Well trained. We need the dog whisperer in here. <laughs> uh, now I lost my point. Uh, this is something that popped up in history, well into the development of the Christian Church, well into the development of the Lutheran Church. Uh, why was this not an issue in the Lutheran Church beforehand? Before this, what do you, what's this, and and what do the, you mean? The Galesburg Rule, you know, before the 18th century. You know, there's 300 years of Lutheranism that already took place. Well. You know the the problem is is it's whatever. the it's the American problem and and that is that Lutherans came from Lutheran lands they didn't come from from they didn't come from the Dutch <laughs> and and as a result you know they find themselves in what is basically Calvinist America you okay, know because yeah. the the ma- vast majority of the early settlers were congregationalist calvinists you know that kind of stuff so so they found themselves in kind of a strange land and not only that but but the various waves of lutherans that came were of different stripes some some were more some were less committed to the lutheran confessions as you know as as lutherans or you know lutherans have lots of offshoots mm-hmm. you know yeah. the mennonites the yeah. uh you know the lutheran pietism is all over the place you know wesley learned his pietism from lutheran pietists we we've we've messed up all kinds of people in our history <laughs> So, so you know, the question really becomes: You're looking around. You're in this 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 frontier America, and who do you have fellowship with, and who who don't you? And one of the one of the big things that was going around in the 18th century was the Methodist circuit riders. Right. They were really big on, uh, and and they would basically, um, you know, evangelize and work with existing Christians too. They didn't care, you know, Lutheran, whatever, and and you know, people scattered all over the place. And Walther wrote about these Methodist circuit riders. He couldn't stand them, but then they sent we sent out our own circuit right. riders, yeah, you know. So it's everybody's out there. See, that's the uniqueness of America. It's just it's competition. Everything is competing for for the attention of of. You know, religious America, and and it's something that a lot of our models from the, the like the Orthodox, the Orthodox know nothing but the state church. Yeah, you know right. that when you're in Orthodox lands, that is it. But now in Russia, there is a lot of competition. But they don't like it. No, they don't. And and they actually try to use the legal system to shut that down, including Lutherans. They just want to shut that stuff down because they said, no, no, this is our land. And I guess the Lutherans have been allowed to stay partly because of uh, they've been those, around for a long those time. Those who were there around the time of Catherine the Great. That's that right. Sort of thing. Yeah. If you can demonstrate that you've been around for a couple of hundred years, then you have kind of a legitimate claim to being there. Now, right. you know, positively, they're trying to keep out the Moonies, the Loonies, the Zunies, and and the Jehovah's Witnesses, and all this other stuff that's coming in. But uh, 
Moving on. Yeah. You know, okay. closed communion basically, you know, says if you're outside the fellowship, then you can't commune here. Um, there is a, a thing, you'll see it some in some literature, closed. Duh. Parentheses. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce the parentheses, so I'm trying. Closed. Duh. Communion. Close yeah, closed. <laughs> closed communion, which is a slightly, in my interpretation, this is just me now, this is a slightly more open form of closed communion. It means uh, those in fellowship with us, and there are a handful of exceptions. Okay. Okay, so, you know, we may not be an official—we may not be an official fellowship with the Siberian Lutheran Church, but uh, we do lots of uh, teacher exchange, and they know us, we know them, they're all cool. And so even though official ties haven't been established, they're in. Okay, so okay. does this fall under— uh... Resolution thirty ought six, <laughs> which means that uh, the synod's official statement isn't that three o six, something like that. That sounds right. Yeah, I don't have a good mind for those. I always things. remember because that's you know good hunting rifle. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's how you remember that. So. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but basically, stating that uh, we as a Lutheran church will practice closed communion with pastoral discretion. Yeah, and and pastoral discretion is the key there. Okay, so if it's closed, duh. The, the amount of the amount of pastoral exceptions are are fewer if it's close that's that's the kissing cousin is close communion or close enough yeah right yeah. <laughs> but you know it's it's close c l o s e you know you'll hear some people say we practice close communion now that's that's a wider door and so the pastoral discretion is through a much wider door it usually means we agree on the basics like the nicene creed or something like that. We agree who God is and who Jesus is, and we agree on the nature of the Lord's Supper. Okay. So we agree that that it's the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, actually given under bread and wine. So, you know, on that basis, regardless of where you might belong, you you might be admitted that Sunday as, as kind of a, a, an honorary Lutheran for a day. Now, in the 20th century, up until mm, the mid-70s, 80s, something like that, wasn't that kind of what most of our pastors understood it to be? You know, to be truthful, I don't know what most of our pastors understood. Well, I'm just looking at some of the uh, older guys in our midst that, you know, are near retirement age or after retirement age, and uh, it's amazing how many of these guys say, that's what I was always taught at seminary, you know, was that close communion where uh, are you baptized? Do you recognize the body and blood of Christ here for the forgiveness of your sins? And if you say yes to these questions, come on down. Yeah, I never asked the, the pastor I grew up under. Uh, subsequent pastors, when I was an adult, I would basically say, yeah, that's what they were doing, is the general principle was those people who are members of congregations in official fellowship with us. And then there was a wide latitude of ex pastoral exceptions based on conversation. Right. You know, kind of what do you believe and what do you believe about the Lord's Supper? And some pastors were more rigorous and some pastors were less rigorous. Some would commune you first and then ask questions later, and then they may decide to tell you, you know, you prob it's probably not good for you to commune again. Then they get all mad. And so, but close and close, duh. Are are just kind of uh, on a spectrum of 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 from looser to tighter, I think. And I think you're right. I think basically, prior generations, that's what they were more or less doing. Hmm. Um, at the other end, the opposite of closed communion is open communion. 
Or y'all come. Y'all come. Now, but, you know, I would define open communion not as, uh, you know, the Buddhists, the Muslims, and your dog. I think that's a, that's a straw man and a caricature. Um, I, I would define open communion as, as basically any baptized Christian regardless of confession. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you can say something to that, too, is it is a recognition that there is but one body of Christ. See, all these denominations and confessions kind of speak against the unity of the one body. You know, Interesting. Try, yeah. try telling a non-Christian that the body of Christ is undivided. It's, there's but one church, and they say, you're nuts. <laughs> there's about 20,000 churches, and they hate each other, and they don't right. agree. <laughs> you know? And I'll tell you, you know, where I come at, at this is a lot of this depends on how you, how you interpret that, that, that verse in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, Paul says, and I'm, I'm going to look for the exact, um, yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, you could say the same of the cup, but he doesn't. He just talks about the bread. So there's one bread, there's one loaf uh, referring to Christ. So, so, you know, Christ, the bread of life, he's, he is our loaf. And, and because there is one bread, we who are many our one body. Why? Because we partake of the one loaf. Now, here's my, here's my $6 million question. I'll, I'll ask it to you. Is, are we one body because we partake of the one loaf, or do we partake of the one loaf because we are already one body? Bad question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not an either or, it's a both end. Let me ask it this way, then. Is, is the Lord's Supper a symbol of our unity or a sacrament of our unity? Primarily a sacrament of our unity, but secondarily a symbol of oh, our unity. Oh, yes, yeah, he schwaffly answer. <laughs> if it's a sacrament of our unity, then it's actually creating and revealing unity. So in other words, by our communing together, we are revealed to be one body and are being made one body over and against our divisions. Right. Whereas Nagel used to say we're bodied and blooded together. Exactly. Which is a good one. If it's a symbol of our unity, then we have to get our differences straight before we partake, before we symbolize that unity by being all together. Well, and this is where the tension lies, is is if you're coming, we we were talking about this at lunch a little bit, and I I said, you know, we, we have to grapple with this question. If you're coming to my church and communing at the altar that I've been given to preside over, I'm telling you that if you're going to come to this altar, you're confessing with me. You're confessing with this church, and you're going to make a statement by doing this, saying that you are part of our fellowship here. This is why I like the fact that you come forward to receive. It's not like in some churches where it's just kind of passed around. We don't even know if you received, you know, if if the, the bread and the... It wouldn't be wine, but but I'm just going to say wine, just to say. Uh, If that's kind of circulating on trays through the pews, there's really no sort of visible commitment being made there. You're just kind of anonymously communing. Right, right. But by coming forward, you're you're making a visible statement. Well, and that's the way that I grew up, is the tray passes down the aisle. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you'd sit in the pew, and and 
the little jiggers of grape juice come by and the little bitty crackers come by and you just take it out and you wait for the pastor to say the magic words and you pop them in your mouth. See, imagine a much smaller intimate communion in a first century church in somebody's living room where you not only know each other by name, but you know each other by life. Right. And and so this this communion was an intimate statement of your fellowship. You're being bound by the body and the blood together as one. Hmm. Um, and And so... You know, the guest was highly scrutinized as to who are you and where have you come from and uh, all of this kind of thing. Whereas, um, you know, for those who are part of the fellowship, you were family mm. and, and you were known to each other. And, and so, you know, there's a real tension between those who want to um, show our, our, our unity as Christians, as one in the body of Christ, and those who want to emphasize that that unity also requires that we be of one mind in doctrine. You know, and I think that's where, that's where the spectrum is, is that those who practice closed communion say, hey, false doctrine is a sin. Mm-hmm. And if you, and, and if you uh, admit people who openly disagree with you, you're basically you know, in partnership with their sin. Well, and that's something that you should definitely take very serious as a pastor. That, and so that, that's why we have what we've got. Yeah. You know, and, and, it's, and in many ways, I, I think there's a kind of a—I'm not sure it's a cause or a correlation, but there seems to be a correlation between how close or closed your communion is and how seriously you take doctrine, well, and for one thing. We live in a time where not wanting to embarrass someone— is very high on your list <laughs> yeah, instead right. of, you know, doing the right thing. You know, let's, uh, you know, have, have you ever put yourself in the position of somebody who's just kind of walked into church as being dragged in by a friend and, and it's just clueless? Well, and, yeah, and here that's now why nobody ever comes back to my church. Here now they're all doing something all together <laughs> and you're excluded. Yeah. I mean, that that's just a colossal bummer at that's a social weird. level. Yeah. It's very weird. It'd well, be like inviting somebody. Uh, somebody brings a friend to dinner at your house, and because you don't know them, they can only watch you eat. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you sit can in the corner. You can and... sit in the room, but you can't have anything to eat. <laughs> oh, I know that analogy is going to break down, but I think that's how it feels to a lot yeah. of oh, the yeah. guests and visitors right. here. That, that it's like you know, gee, you invite me and then you exclude me. I know that's. It's... <laughs> I, I you can often... understand why the early churches threw people out. Yeah. I, th- I think it's better just to kick them out. <laughs> I, you Give them something to do. I, I often struggle with that as a pastor, you know, and, and I make an effort before the church service, if they're not late, to uh, sit down in the pew with them and get to know them a little bit, find out where they come from. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's much better to let people know what's going on before it happens than just kind of drop it on them when it happens. I think the surprise element just amplifies it, yeah. makes it worse. You know, I think that if people, if you have an honest conversation that, that really has a, a certain genuine character to it, people respect it. If if you explain that this is based on what we believe, we care about what you believe, we treat you as an intelligent, you know, human being, and and that uh, there's a certain amount of respect, I yeah. think. I think people can understand and I, it. I always like to stress, I'm not judging you. You know, I'm not. But you I'm are. Not even, I'm not even saying that you're not <laughs> saved. I'm just asking that we do things in in a proper order. See, I, can't, I could not say, in all honesty, I'm not judging you because we are. We're, we're basically saying, you know, you come from a heretical church, and therefore we can't commune you. <laughs> well, Bill, you might not be their buddy, but who's your buddy? 
Oh, Jesus is a friend of mine. Yes, he is. Jesus there you go. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be.